Hey, everybody. Just to let you know, this podcast may contain some adult or possibly offensive language. No nudity, though. <laughs> Unless you're thinking about naked people. The first time we played a show and we were so excited, we all wear puma suits and do-rags. I don't understand how we did not get killed that night. <laughs> but we're trying to get through the crowd and there's all these dudes calling us menudo. <laughs> What's good, everybody? This is Stretch Armstrong. And my name is Bobito Garcia. Together we are the host of What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. Today we have the Beastie Boys. The what? The Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys. Uh, We are joined by two of the members. Unfortunately, one of them uh, passed away, Adam Yauch, a.k.a. MCA. Um, In 2012, he died of cancer. Um, And moving forward... uh, Mike D and Adam Horowitz, uh, aka Ad Rock, are releasing a book, the Beastie Boys book, and it commemorates their memories as a group, which include MCA. I'm so excited to talk about the Beasties because honestly, like one of my best friends in life, we connected because I was at a Wesleyan University dorm room. I didn't know who he was, he was a complete stranger. And he threw on a Beastie's 12 inch. And then like, I was like, oh, he's cool. We can hang out. And then like, boom, I want to become the best man at his wedding. <laughs> like the Beastie Boys have been a conduit for a lot of friendships, you know, worldwide. For real. Yeah, my, my intro to the Beasties was more personal. My sister, who's a year and a half older than I am, she was hanging out with the Beastie Boys downtown in the, in the early 80s. And um, she actually would bring them to our house uptown it's and crazy. got to meet them like that. One day they came over with a with an actual record. It was Cookie Puss, which is, <laughs> of course, a, a sort of proto-hip-hop record. Like, yeah. you know, they were still a band, you know, making just noise. Um, it was bugged out. A few years later, I was coming home from a party in a taxi. I'm in high school. Hadn't seen those dudes in like, in like, you know, like three years. And they hear the Beastie Boys on the radio. I was like, wow, those guys really did it. The radio. And of course, they would continue to do it yeah. in huge ways for, you know, the 90s and beyond. Yeah. Before we get into the interview, we thought we'd do something a little bit different. Uh, we know how much the Beastie Boys mean to everybody. So we thought we'd give our listeners a chance to talk about what the Beasties meant to them, this share is their hilarious. memories. <laughs> so we opened up the Stretch and Bobbito What's Good Hotline. I love it. So we're going to dive into that montage right about now. I'm just a white dude in my 40s. Love the Beasties. They've brought so much uh, creativity to the picture, and, and it gave white people the ability to have flavor, which isn't easy to do. Listen, man, I'm 24-year-old black kid from North Philadelphia, recognizing the Death Jam logo as a young boy trying to figure out why all these Caucasians are on the cover. All it takes is a listen and it answers all your questions for you, man. My father steered me in the right direction, picking up the Beastie Boys. I am a feminist because of of the Beastie Boys. I love them so much that I'm now in an all-female Beastie Boy tribute band called She's Crafty. I mean, I started listening to jazz and Latin music and funk and soul music because of them. When I was in a personable 16-year-old, I went to my first Tibetan Freedom concert. Fast forward some years, got involved with students for a free Tibet, and that further pushed me to go to law school. Still a lawyer today, and I like to tell people that the reason I'm a lawyer is because of the Beastie Boys. To me, the Beastie Boys are the shit because the whole mashup of like them being white boys and hip hop being more like of color, 
I always just thought that that was dope. So it's kind of like just New York. Like that's what the Beastie Boys is to me, and they're like timeless. Just wanted to say much love to Adam and Mike, the Beastie Boys, uh, and of course Adam and Tia Yao. Much love to him as well. Rest in power. Thank you so much, Adam, Mike, and Adam. Thank you for everything, and rest in peace, Yao. I'm very grateful for what the Beastie Boys have done for the culture and for kids like me all around America. Much love to those brothers, Beastie Boys, forever. Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. And thank you for calling. We should do that more often, Stretch, I think. We're going to do that. Um, Coming up, the Beastie Boys, Mike Diamond and Adam Horowitz. The following message comes from our sponsor, Capital One. Would you know if someone applied for credit using your social security number? If not, listen to Joe Whitchurch, head of the CreditWise app, talk about the new SSN tracker his team recently released. While identity fraud is something everyone needs to be worried about, we want to make it easy and seamless for them to become aware of anybody attempting to use their identity without their knowledge or permission. CreditWise is free for everyone, whether you're a Capital One customer or not. You can find CreditWise in your app or Play Store now. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. In 1980, with a few thousand dollars in used dairy equipment, Ken Grossman founded Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Ken's award-winning ales propelled him from home brewer to craft brewer. Today, Ken and his family still own 100% of the company, one of the most successful independent craft breweries in America. More at SierraNevada.com. I'd like to say something that I've wanted to say for over 20 years. Uh-oh. We have the Beastie Boys, Adam Horowitz and Mike Diamond. Word up. What's up? Hi. Hi, guys. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> Hello. I should say welcome to What's Good. We're stretching Bobito. That, the, two okay. of you, the two of you are aware of our show back in the 90s, but for some reason out of yeah, the we 50. Yeah, we never went through. The 50 ever. mutual friends that we have. Like, no, that's right. I'm not upset about it that we were never on the show. Is that what you're getting at? No, I'm not no. upset about it. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, are you mad at us? No, no, are we no. Mad at you? no. No, neither. No. It's just. No, it's just we're mad. We're just mad. Just mad no, no. <laughs> I don't know why we didn't go on there. Yeah. Why okay. didn't we go on there? Well, by that, okay. by that point, you were living in. We were probably like in on, LA. We were on some LA stuff, and then on some like oh. Ooh, you a star now. No, we were 100% in New York. <laughs> we were in New York because I taped your show, and then one of the tapes I sampled and we put on a record. Oh, okay, fact. Yeah. Fact. fact. Lord Sears. Lord Sears beatboxing, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Yo. Hello. Yo. Hello. 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 Yo. Hello. Hello. So, so thank you for taping our show. Did you ever get any clearance for that, or is yeah. that something that? No, no one no, contacted. No, 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 pretty no. sure. I don't think anyone had to contact us. I mean, whatever. We we were geeked out that you credited the show though. That okay. was that was huge. That's okay. all we wanted. Listen, we See? weren't we weren't doing anything See, for money as, back then. Not that bad. We weren't we weren't smart. <laughs> it was all free. <laughs> we were just we were hip hop volunteers in the nineties. It's a good technology story to think of. Like Adam listening to the radio recording the show on cassette and then sampling that with like a SP-1200 and then that gets transferred to like a two-inch two, tape. Two, two, two inch tape and gets on a record. It's, right. it's like, it's a lot of steps of, I don't know, kids, I'm old. That's a lot of technology. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump in. Uh, you know, Stretch and I, were from Uptown, but we were very foreign to the Brooklyn experience of the 70s and 80s. And uh, and there you both are, entrenched in multiple communities, 
including the punk community, which I think, I, I have to say, most of my friends that love the BC Boys, I don't even think they're aware of the era prior. So, um, Michelle, we, our producer, she has a little clip that she's going to share, share with you. <laughs> so that's a little clip of, of the two of you yep. in the early uh, punk era. The punk group didn't include you initially. Right. Me, and, uh, Adam Horowitz. So it was, yeah, Adam Horowitz. So it was originally, Yauk was the one who like wanted to start Beastie Boys as a band. I actually was in another little side band, but Yauk was like, okay, let's do this like hardcore, start happening in New York. I, I was gonna play drums, but then nobody nobody wanted to sing, so I ended up having to do that. <laughs> I still harbor resentment <laughs> for having to do that. Um, like I think our first gig ever, this dude Dave Parsons, who had a record store downtown called Rat Cage, so he he came to the show at that place where we practiced. It was Yauk's birthday, and he's like, "Hey, what do you guys think about making a record?" And we we're like, you know, but keep in mind, like record that meant that we recorded on a four track. It's not. I just want to make make it clear, it was not a big accomplishment. <laughs> I mean, it's big when you're 15. Yeah, it yeah. is kind of big, right? Sure. But John Barry, whose place it was and who was a guitar player, he got basically tired of it. And then Adam had a band called The Young and the Useless. I, I always try to explain to people in New York City, even though there's millions of people, it's like what whatever you're into is actually the small scene, especially at that time. Whether it didn't matter what you're into. Like nobody's Snapchatting with each other. Like, hey, I'm gonna do this. You had to, <laughs> you had to go to the spot where no the doubt. thing was happening no to find your friends that were also into the same thing. Yep. So actually, that record store, like Rat Cage, on on that block was like that's where we go to meet up to be like, okay, what's happening? And then you go to the show or the club or whatever. So anyway, Adam was like one of those people. So what was your what was your sensibilities for hip hop as opposed to the punk in that space before you even? Splash as a rap group. Like as soon as we started hearing rap 12 inches, like the first, I think, mix show I ever heard was a, a tape from the Zulu Beat show. Africa Islam. <clears throat> Africa Islam. Yeah, sure. Africa Islam in stereo. Next week, listeners, we will be on from 1 to 3 o'clock on the dot. WHBI. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And it was literally mind blowing, right? And then, but coming from punk rock, it was kind of like that was music that we could love that we knew nobody else would mess with. It's, it's such a small circle of people. Like, think about the number of kids at that time that were into hip hop or whatever. It's not some huge scene of thousands of no, people. No, certainly not. And in a private school. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, like in a, private school, we were the hand. two. We yeah. were the two kids. Yeah, I've, I've got really specific memories of first getting into hip hop like I like that the moment when I discovered it you know you mentioned HBI and of course mix shows were so important to all of our lives in terms of being exposed to to new music in the hip hop realm how did you discover HBI like who was it like your man that knew about this this mix show cuz you were still pretty young at that point definitely no it was, yeah I was really young I, mean, I, I just remember if, it was a it was this kid Raymond Rosado who had it he came in, he had a tape that he, same, kind of like similar story, he taped it off the radio because mm -hmm. you'd have to be listening was, at the time. Was he Puerto Rican? So he, uh, I'm going to implicate him as being a Puerto Rican. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
<laughs> you see the the importance of of the Bodhikawa connection That's in right. the Beastie Boys history. What well, I'm stamping it, you know. <laughs> I my my older brother uh, heard a record about a twelve inch when we were kids called Adventures of Super Rhymes. Jimmy Spicer by Jimmy Spicer. Yeah. Yes, I'm one of a kind. I'm super rhymes, and I'd like to say hello. As it's on the mic, and I'm ready to rock. Oh, this is how it goes. Yes, I rock so good. I rock so well. I ring ding ding a ding ding a dang, baby. I'll ring your bell. Yes, and we I'm used to just listen to it all the time. And that was a from, long record too. Real long. <laughs> like two sides of just rapping. It just and you fade him out rapping. He just fades out still rapping. And so we would just go to a record store on 8th Street and any new 12-inch, like, that's when, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't now, but re- label record labels were a thing where it was like a 12-inch, like if Sugar Hill had a new 12-inch, you'd get the new one just because it was Sugar Hill or mm-hmm. Enjoy or whatever the labels were. And so that's how we got into it. I met you at the Roxanne Roxanne premiere, and when I spoke to you, I got a chance to tell you that I actually, I remember you coming to my house when I was in eighth grade because you guys were friends with Lisa Kirk and my sister who's Justine Bartos and and um you brought Cookie Puss to the house one day um and I and I stole the record from my sister because I was obsessed I was playing drums I was obsessed with music and um wait was that a regular occurrence that you just drop off your 12 inch to friends of yours no this is the day it was was like a a marketing thing that I would (laughs) go from apartment to apartment (laughs) street level promotions company (laughs) as I remember it that was the day the record came out and you guys we're excited yeah, about no, it. Yeah, no, come right? on. Very you know, when, when you're 16 or whatever, how old were you? Give or take. 70, 17. Uh-huh. Well, 16, 17, you're in high school and a record comes out. You're like so excited. You you carry that shit with you everywhere. <laughs> That's why had boxes. You hold it over your head on the subway. <laughs> you're so yeah. excited. Yeah, I mean, for me, though, as a as a music-obsessed kid playing drums and whatnot, buying records, like to, to know actual human beings that made an actual record was like, just colossally huge for me. I mean, I, you, you guys are the first people I ever met that actually made music to sell in a record store. Anyway, the record was Cookie Puss, Beastie Revolution. That record is so quirky and bugged out. What went into the making of that? And what was your mentality? What were you trying to do with that record? Well, what had happened was... Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. No, we went... I mean, you weren't rapping on it yet. But there no, was no, hip, no. But we, there, we, were, there we, were signs we, of things we, that were um, Adam Yauch's family friend had worked at a recording studio, and he let us come into the studio for two nights for... I thought for free, but Mike had pointed out no, it was a hundred dollars. Some cash, or pay some somebody some cash money. Some, some 16, sixteen year old dollars. Yeah, and <laughs> no, but that's like a lot. I remember like bringing an envelope of money, and I'm not, you know, it's not like I was like nervous, you know, especially and the the, the studios in Midtown. I'm like nervous walking around with an envelope of no money. Doubt. I love no. a kid with an envelope of money. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so so we went to record these songs, and we they were like. Um, we recorded them quickly, and they were they were bad, really like pretty bad. No, I say really bad. They were really bad songs, like kind of punk, kind of like they were goth. I don't even know what it <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, we it didn't just, know they what. Sucked. We didn't just think of like we were a hardcore group, and we know we wanted to do something different, but we didn't know what we were. And really, we loved hip hop, but we weren't like we didn't know how to make. 
hip hop oh. yet. Oh, it's in the book. This book that we have coming out. I'm plugging oh, the book. Look at that. Look at this. Professional. October 30th. Yeah. When you're a kid, at least at that time in New York. But New York kids, you can't really like embrace something too much. You got to be kind of laid back and cool about it. Like no matter how much you love it. Like, so we loved rap music and we loved reggae music but like we wouldn't actually try to do it we'd just try to like make fun of it in this not fake make fun of it but like do it in a funny way and so after we recorded these songs that we were like kind of terrible we love this song called buffalo gals by malcolm mclaren's song we love that song but we wouldn't want to make something like that so we made fun of that song instead of being yeah. like oh we well, like also it. buffalo gals was like one of the hip-hop songs that somehow actually you'd hear it on the radio like outside of a mix show sure. like you'd sure, hear it daytime sure. like dudes would be walking down the street playing kiss fm bls or whatever so outside of mr magic or whatever you'd hear i don't even understand how this english guy made this wreck had this and just like com- comes over, ghost somebody. Who was it? It was, it was like the Supreme Team, right? Freddie yeah. or Michael Holman. I forget who it is. It takes the credit for taking him up to the Bronx uh, to right, right, to right. something, and he's like, "Okay, I got. I'm going to make something here." But he, but and usually like it should be all wrong. Like he should have made a record that sucked, right? Because he's this English guy <laughs> who comes over and he's just seen all this cool stuff, and it should be it should be whack. But he makes an incredible record. So we made that crazy record just, it was like we had all this time because we had recorded these bad songs quickly. So we're here, let's record some other stuff. So we like basically just made some music and it was like uh, we made prank phone calls and I don't know, just fucking around. And that dumb fucking around stuff was way better than the stuff we meant to record. So we're like, well, let's put this out. Well, then it's a short amount of time though when you're now mastering drum machines, making beats for LL. And then, of course, coming out, you know, as as the BC Boys on Def Jam. So, how did that transformation take place? Well, you know, if you think about it, when you're our age, you know, two years is nothing. Like it just, you're like, oh shit, that was two years ago. But when you're 16, two years, you know, it, it's forever, and you obsess over everything you do. Unfortunately, like homework and school wasn't the thing that I was obsessing over it was you know music and, and making music and how to like and drum machines and we met Rick Rubin and Rick Rubin had a drum machine so I would just cut school and go to his ha- his his uh, dorm room yeah it wasn't even a house it was a dorm room at <coughs> Weinstein dormitories at NYU and just figure it out oh and that song Cookie Puss I was at a friend's house uh, at a friend's apartment back then and I heard that B-side of Cookie Puss on TV, it was a TV ad for British Airways, and they just used our music. Good evening and welcome to Beastie Johnny's Restaurant. And so we got a little money from that, and from that money, I went. Oh, that I, was the first money we ever got, oh, it was like as a band then. They, back they then. Yeah, it was oh. on the fucking TV in That's 1983. Crazy. Wow. And so we each, you know, Boom. we got a little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly, you hear that on TV. Another okay. envelope with cash. Yeah. <laughs> and so I took an envelope. Then, bigger envelope. <laughs> then we were like, oh, wow. No, I took an envelope of they cash to the, to, the re- to the music, the used music store because I wanted to buy this Rickenbacker guitar. And next to the thing, next like on the on the counter was a drum machine for 250 bucks, the same money that I had in my pocket in the envelope for the thing, the guitar. 
Wait, wait. Like, you know, which drum machine, Adam? So no, it's like, fuck it. I, I was like, fuck it. I have a guitar already. I'm going to get this drum machine because it looks really cool. And I don't know anybody. I hadn't met Rick yet. I was like, I don't know anybody has a drum machine. So I bought the drum machine and it's a, it was an 808. And so I bought that in whenever it came out, 83, 84. For two hundred fifty bucks, and then that Damn. that drum machine was this that drum machine was the in house drum machine for Chung King and for our records, yeah, but all those records, like not Run just DC. our record, but like Peter Piper, all the Def Jam, yeah, eight oh eight records. Wow, well, it's like the foundation for so much like Paul, music Paul now Revere, too. New, new style, yeah, exactly. It's still mm-hmm. eight oh eight. Interestingly, it's still foundational. Well, I'm curious. You're crossing out of these spaces, the punk community. Uh, your private school education, and you're coming into hip hop space, which in the you know in the mid '80s is predominantly people of color, African American, Afro Caribbean, uh, Latino. Certainly not a lot of white kids. And what was your interest to sort of like you know become a part of this space? Our our talent and skill as rappers clearly it's oh the first God. thing that you notice. <laughs> uh, I don't understand the laugh. That's a laugh button. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we were thinking. We just really love rap and wanted to be rappers. Is that weird? No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, well, we like all, you love, we like, we love I, think, I think it was weird, but it just didn't cross our minds that it was weird. Then I think when we started to make rap music and we first made like our, our first record with Rick which was not very good rock, rock hard, rock hard <laughs> and Beastie the, Groove the beast, Beastie Groove is, I, I mean is I'm, crazy. Really, I'm doing myself a disservice by even <laughs> mentioning it but I, I love Beastie Groove I don't even, I don't I, even I remember about, how it goes about to cough up his cappuccino <laughs> hit the button though Yao kills that record Beastie Groove my opinion wait when he does the speed rapping part yeah That's me. Chill. <laughs> I've probably said the word chill about a thousand times. <laughs> That's how bad it Chilly is. Chilly chill. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, then that, that was when then we, the first time that we went up, like Adam was talking about this earlier, we went, we played a show in, in, at the Encore, opening up for Curtis Blow, the Encore in Queens. And <laughs> wow. we, we didn't know. <laughs> we uh, were like, okay, we, this is what we love doing. We're so excited. We all wear Puma suits. And, and fucking do rags, and we go and people in our car are looking at us like I don't understand how we did not get killed that night. I really don't because if I were in the audience, I would have killed us. Like it's like really. So you were excited to do the show, but at, did you get on stage and we, that we excitement pull, we turned pull to up, horror? We go there in a limo. In matching Puma suits with do-rags. The limo was Rick's idea. I'm blaming that on Rick Rubin because you know big timers, you know, driving limos. And we get out, and there's like a hundred kids out front, and they'd already like ripped the gates off the place. It was some crazy yeah, thing. Yeah, they had like, you know, the metal gates down because people had already bum rushed the doors. But we're trying to get through and the crowd, and there's all these dudes calling us Menudo. <laughs> and, and they're just saying all this shit to us. And then. <laughs> And we get on stage, and then right as we do our little song, they turn all the house lights on, which were fluorescent supermarket lights. After that, we realized, like, all right, the Puma suits went away. Like, we realized, there was somehow we realized, like, all right, we had to just find our own thing. We love rap music, but we had to find our own thing within that if we were ever actually going to do it. So. We're not going to be Run DMC. It's just not going to happen. But in failure, we got somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> 
So then you were part of the illustrious Def Jam family at at a time when Def Jam was like, you know. Let's put it in context. Yeah, I mean, their first four, four. Uh, of course, of course. Radio releases. LL. Eighty five. Excuse me. Yes. Slick Rick. Public Enemy. Public Enemy. Public Enemy like, yeah. Each group is like breaking records, platinum. You know, Def Jam was like as big as you could imagine. Sure. So, what was it like being a part of the Def Jam family during that time? I look back at it in terms of I'm grateful to have been part of the excitement of LL puts out I Need a Beat, that LL like starts working on his first album, working on our record, and all of a sudden Rick starts working with Run DMC, who at that point were like our favorite group of all time, because in terms of hip hop, they were the only ones who made like a stripped down, hard, real rap record with Sucker MC. So it's like yeah. the fact that we were even around all this and also we were going in the studio, we could see Run DMC record or we like made Paul Revere and Run comes running up and he's like, I got this idea for you. I got this idea for you. You know, like the fact that that, that was all happening, it was like a crazy dream. With with Rick and Russell, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're punk rockers really. And, you know, we could say negative things about Rick and Russell and our relationship and, and all of that stuff. But really for for us at that time, you know, we were making like prank phone call records and, and shit. Do you know what I mean? Like meeting them and they took it real serious. And Russell had like a global plan for everything. And Rick was dead serious about music and polishing certain sounds mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And we fed off of that. I mean, it was like exciting. Yeah, we, Do you know no, what I mean? We did like, feed off of it. Everybody was making some, there were so many good records being made so close to each other that if you're not on your game then you're out you can't be you can't be part of that and not be on your game so we've alluded to the book but let's formally get into it it's called the beastie boys book why now well you know on the fifth moon of the seventh (laughs) month of (laughs) you guys are not taking me seriously and there's no mute button for this (laughs) Um, well, why now is because it it, we, it was due like two and a half years ago, <laughs> and so we're two and a half years late. Yeah. And, and literally, so actually, we we the, rapper time. We started still. our still a rapper. We're in our time. Still a rapper. And literally, we started on the idea. Like conceptually, Yauk was still alive. Like that's when it because you know, Yauk had this idea of vision of he was always obsessed with the the movie the the Who documentary. The kids are all right. And it was like he wanted to make a film thing like that. And then we started talking about like, book. oh, we should do a book also, you know. And then obviously, whatever, when Yauk passed, it was such a tremendous loss. And we were so sad that it was not something we were going to focus on for quite some time. And then we finally got around to it. And then like everything, it took us a crazy (laughs) long time to actually get it done. How do you determine enough time has passed to mourn and and to to say, okay, let's... Let's revitalize this idea and and get on it. No, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't remember any like single event. Like we we also went through a couple of false starts of like first we started like interviewing characters around the band. Like especially Adam and I feared like okay, that's maybe that's a way to tell a story. And I think at that time we were kind of like afraid to get into it because it was going to be too sad for us or whatever. So that was a way to do it. And we, but then we realized that's not the book that people are going to want. From us and then mourning people you love is a weird thing. Like if you get to a, a point where there was, an, I think, a nice opportunity for us, like Adam and I, to work together and then think about this person that had been such a big part of what we all did together and and kind of try to make make his voice be part of the whole project, you know? Do you feel over his passing yet? 
I, I say that respectfully. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? You, you, you know, you, you, you have to continue with your life. Sure. You can't, you can't not do that. Sure. You know, and and certainly, not to make light of it, but you know, like we're people, and we've been through. Mike lost his dad when he was very young. I lost my mom when I was young, and and not to make light of Adam, you know, it's it's very different, and so you you just maintain. You know, you hopefully you have people in your family that you love that you can you know lean on you have your friends that you can lean on you need to keep people around you and so part of this book maybe was helpful for us to continue to hold on to adam in some sort of way i don't know well it was interesting just timing wise for us that we it was like we could embrace his voice and not have it be i don't know you know we're still gonna miss him we still love him we still miss him and that's i don't know you can ever change that dynamic um but you can get to a point where it's like I, I <clears throat> look. I'm so grateful for the times we had more than being sad for where I'm at now. Or, you know, it's a very weird relationship though because you know the three of us were together so much. Like you think about when you're with your friend and you hang out with your friend, and then you go do whatever you're doing your life. Uh, you know, and then you see your friend again. But for us, we were friends that we would be together, and then we would go to work which was us still again. So we were always together. And so it definitely was, you know, a long time and still is to think about like, you know, wake up in the morning and be like, oh, okay, so what uh, What do we do now? Mm. I know there's, I know the, the book is chock full of stories, but is there like a quintessential Yauk moment that either one of you can share? I mean, there's so many. Yeah, I know. As you can say, how do you narrow Just it the first down? thing that came to my mind is the first time Yauk ever came to my apartment. So I'm like 15, 14 or 15. And we go to the deli across the street to get snacks before we go up to my house. I get like Wise Chips and a Coke or something. And he gets Clam Auto and cottage cheese. <laughs> I'm like, what the, who the, f- what fucking, <laughs> wait, what? And you're yeah. 15 years old. Yeah, I was the only kid I knew to eat. That's gross. Like I couldn't stand a sight of cottage cheese. Yeah. yeah. So so it it wasn't like And he definitely was the only person to take that clam juice, tomato juice thing <laughs> off the shelf. You know, blow so the it dust was, up. It wasn't a competition <laughs> between brass monkey and cottage uh, sorry and, and clamato. There's Cl- a big Cl- I can't even say it. Tomato Cl- Cl- or clamato? I, I say clamato. I know it sounds like a, an illness. Um <laughs> Um, I was gonna say no, sexually no, no. transmitted disease. Mm, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, no, no. Brass monkey and the clam juice thing are very similar because you think about it. Like if you're, you know, at the store. Wait, how are they similar? Well, no, because you look. You know, you got to look down, and there's like Mad Dog, and then there's like Manischewitz. You know, depending on the store. Neighborhood, yeah. And then okay. there's Brass Monkey, and there's the Long Island. Like all those bottles of booze at the bottom at the floor. Back in the '80s, like any shitty thing with some booze in it at the bottom of the deli. You'd grab, and we just grabbed Brass Monkey for some reason. So there's not going to be any Beastie Boy music, or could that change? It just depends on. There, there, no, no new Beastie Boys music. Yeah, there's a lot, you know, like any band, but probably actually more so than a lot of bands because we would spend a lot of time in a studio and also smoke a lot of pot. There's a lot of stuff that's made that might not have been as good or focused as it should have been. Um, <laughs> We basically what he's saying around. is we we had a studio in LA for a few years, and so we would record everything, everything, and so we have 
like a hundred hours of like stoner jams. That, and, and in between those is like uh, you can hear us playing basketball or you can hear someone playing guitar with people playing basketball or someone ordering food while the other people are talking about other stuff. And it's just hours and hours of music and bullshitting. And so at some point we're going to put that out, with, some with, of that out. With no rhymes, just jam sessions. Pretty much, I think. Unless no, we find some other... I mean, there's also stuff with Ron's that never got... Whatever. I, I guess the point is there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been released that at some point could, but, who, you know, there's not like there's any plan mm-hmm. in terms of that. But me and Mike but, are going to make, like, a new Beastie Boys record. But we do have several projects. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, a lot of projects. Why is Mike laughing? Because we actually are, have nothing going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Mike, uh, your children are in their teens? Yep. Teenagers. Stretch had told me, he was like, I can't imagine a world where someone thinks the beasties are uncool, but... Oh, in my house. Come come over to my house. (laughs) For sure. I don't think they think the band is uncool. They just think that Mike is uncool. No, that's true. They actually think you're a lot cooler than me. When I say, like, oh, I'm, I'm, like, Adam's coming over, I'm working with Adam or something, they're like, oh, cool. Like, they like you. (laughs) His kid, the first thing he... I hadn't seen him in a while, and he comes up to me on a fucking hoverboard, and he's like, dude, you got old. <laughs> My kids was like, I love them, they love me, but it's like, yeah, you, I'm definitely not cool. I feel like you guys were able to remain cool, but become role models, disavowing the the values or or lack of values you espouse during License to Ill. Like, let's not get crazy, role well, models. You know, role, no, but, but, <laughs> but, no, but role models but. is like, in, in, more than anything else, like within our group of friends, like you really got to check who you're circle of friends are you know what i mean and and especially for you know we we all can relate to this sort of thing like public figure a lot of times you push your 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 actual friends kind of fall by the wayside because you want to go with these kind of people that'll be like you know you're the shit and blah 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 and they you know feed your ego and all that stuff and so we were lucky enough me adam and mike to sort of be able to reflect on the dumber things that we said and did I don't know how it happened, but we just did. And it was important to us to be, to check each other, the three of mm. us. And so with sure. within the that our group, some of those friends fell by the wayside that needed to fall by the wayside. And we, we were strong for each other and we wanted to be role models for each other. There was no time where we were like, we got to say this stuff to teach these people about that or whatever. Oh, it's right. like, we got to, we have to do play our part to try to do th- make things better in the world. So we mentioned uh, Def Jam earlier, which is co-founded by Russell Simmons, who of course is the subject of multiple allegations of sexual misconduct, assault. Now, of course, there's a lot of history here, but how do you reconcile that relationship with men that have these allegations around them? It's an educating moment. It's a very important moment because it's also an educating moment like, oh, that dude is just, he's crazy. He does this crazy stuff. And, you know, if you actually figure out what the crazy stuff is you're like well that's not just crazy stuff that's that's illegal stuff like you can't fuck around with that and so you you really have to now there's a clear like line in the sand do you cross that line or you don't cross the line you know what the line is now yeah. and you need to put your friends and your family up to that test you know what i mean you need to put each other up to that and if somebody if you want to be on that other side of the line then that's up to you but yeah i don't want to and I think it's fucked up, and I'm going to stay on this side of it, and I'm going to make sure that my friends and my family, people that I love, 
try to do their best. And of course, your your father, yeah. playwright Israel Horowitz, there were allegations against oh, yeah. him, and you were very public and definitive in your defense of the women. Mm-hmm. You really chose to, to stand behind them. Yeah. It was obviously a, a difficult place to be. My dad, obviously, is a lot <laughs> more difficult because he's my dad. I love my dad, yeah. but like in terms of me personally, it's difficult to... Um, to find a balance of 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 uh, where you stand in it, how you, what you accept, what you don't accept, how you process it all, it's 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 very difficult, very intricate, and very tricky. And and you know, I love my dad, but I can't I can't deal with that. That's not me. I, I, I don't know how else to you know how else do you say it. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that's not an easy thing to talk about. So thanks for sharing. Or we will be right back after this break with the Beastie Boys and the Impression Session. Bong, bong. Some things were meant for each other. Fries and milkshakes, selfies and duck face. And now, what's good with Stretch and Bobito and Spotify? Yes, the same app that has millions of songs now also has thousands of podcasts. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. To subscribe to ours, search for What's Good with Stretch and Bobbito, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify, they're streaming right now. And now and now. Election Day is just a few weeks away, and some are saying it could be a year of the woman. We're talking to Democrat Stacey Abrams and Republican Elizabeth Hang two women trying to excite their parties in 2018. That's next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. I just interviewed Melissa McCarthy. This is what happens when you corner a rat. You corner me, I will chew through you. I'll chew through you. Yikes, thank goodness she's not that way in person. You can find our interview in the Fresh Air feed. And we're back. Oh, and we're hearing the drums. That means it's time for the impression session. It's uh, it's pretty simple. We're gonna play you each play you a track, and you react, and that's that. Whatever cool. you want. I feel like you you always go first. So why not go first this time? Do it. Cool. All right. Put the needle to the record. Michelle, can you play my song, please? supposed to be talking right now no if you want uh. <laughs> keep going listening you can rap <laughs> <laughs> you know is this an old record that's tanika charles uh soul run okay and uh canadian singer oh yeah but it's not new it's, uh, it's that, like a dap kings thing or something or what not dap kings but you know it's uh on record that kicks it's an Ital- italian uh seven inch label and because um, the groove sounded like on the the uh, Bambata that long death mix record, you know that re- that yeah, it sounded Wimley, like it was yeah. one of, one of those things that he played on there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The reason why I thought to play it for you for the impression session is that you know when you kind of came out of the '80s and you were sampling Root Down and 
starting to really like expose people to, as as other hip hop producers were doing as well, like the Jungle Brothers and Della Soul. It's really obscure, like heavy funk, raw funk records. And uh, yeah, I heard I heard Tanika Charles, and it, and it just it reminded me of that Beastie Boys sort of like deep funk, you know, raw soul era. Um, and I, I, I anticipated that you would both like it. Yeah. But also, just one quick thing. What I like about it, you mentioned the 80s, like it's, there was something about it, like it was a more soulful, refined, there's like a, something a little bit like ESG. Like I actually thought when I was hearing it that it was a record that like predated ESG and oh. ESG were like, oh, we're going to make something like this. <laughs> you know, and ended up making their own version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's up. Word up. Drop it, please. I've heard this before. Knowledge will begin until I finish this song Cause the rhyme gets rougher as the rhyme goes on You sweat as you step about to get hype Or should you just listen to the man on the mic You're physically in this with me but how could you tell If it's meant to be hip-hop if you're not mentally as well Ready to absorb the rhyme that I just poured into the mic So you're and this won't be so bored If you just keep kicking, listen to the mix and think you'll sing it to the Wait, alright, what is this? Hold on, hold on <laughs> Seriously though Am I crazy? Is that Rakim? What is that? <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. I'm like, what? What is that? You're playing me. I'm I'm dead serious. Well, I'm spaced out. I might be high. I don't know. <laughs> it's from Peter Full. Yeah. It is. As the rhyme goes but on. But that's yeah. not the. Is that the actual yes. mix? No, it's not. Yes, it is. Peter Full came out before we did that song, though. No. 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 Wait. Uh, no, that, is it on the B side of, of the album? No, that's that's on the album. That's on the original. That song I haven't heard since 1986. Dead serious, I haven't heard. I think that. It came out in '87. Okay. Yeah. That actual Paid song came out as an album in '87. No, wait. I'm trying to think. Well, my yeah, my, my yeah. melody, yeah, yeah. like Eric B is president, and my melody was definitely. But the album came earlier. out in '87. Yeah. That actual song that just played, I haven't heard that since whenever. It sounded to me like it was a weird remix. I was like, wait, Barry White is on this? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Like, I don't Wait, remember. No, I'm, I don't... I'm bugging right now. Well, I picked the song, right, because your voice is sampled. Yeah, it. Pump right. it up, homeboy. But I've heard that exact same intro on like seven different songs with the same kind of thing. I don't remember my voice being on Paid in Full. I'm dead serious. Someone I don't know what to tell to you. cut you a check. Yeah, you tell know, me about it. Clearly, have not. Yeah. But we, should, we should get a lawyer to give me, you, and Lord Sierra a check from the BC's album. And we'll take a <laughs> yeah. commission on this yeah, one. Yeah, we got a lot of, <laughs> but Adam, a lot the, of legalities the, in this The reason show. I picked that was because I thought it was fascinating that, that Rakim, as, a, as someone who followed the 5% Nation, um, which has, a little some, odd. has some controversial um, ideas about uh, race and, and whatnot, I just love that, that there it was your voice prominently sampled on the beginning of that record. Clearly, you don't really remember this record. I remember. So I was going to ask you what that meant to you back then. <laughs> you know, my melody and... Um, Eric B's president. Though That single, for me, was the thing. And I, you know, I had that album and I listened to the album. That Pump It Up Homeboy is... Someone played me, they were like, yo, this guy just put out a, a single. You got to check this out. And they gave me the single with my voice on it, that Pump It Up... Some dude named Ice-T in L.A. is a rapper, and he just made a single with your voice on it. And so back even before that, like that, there's a bunch of records with that. So it's definitely weird 
But it's weirder that I don't remember that Rakim and Eric B. I think what's weirder to me is hearing that record and I haven't heard it in so long. I knew it was Rakim's voice. And then, but then I was like, it sounds like a backpack rap track. Like, like they, they were actually ahead of their time. <laughs> yeah. Ten years. Rock, Rockham is actually yeah. um, a guest on this show this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I also really love that record. I think it's just phenomenal. So I'm glad you haven't heard it in a long time. But that the for me at least, the, the single that came out before the record was like game-changing, life-changing. That was of meant course. everything. Yeah. All right, fellas, yo, thanks so much for being on our show. Thanks for having us, you guys. Yo, seriously, it's been a long time coming, and, and we really appreciate you taking the time to, to hang with us and pump it up, homeboy. Just don't stop. <laughs> Word up. Rest in peace. Right. Adam Yow. Yep. That's our show. This podcast was produced by Michelle Lanz, edited by Alexander McCall, Jordana Hochman, and Nigeri Eaton. Our executive producer is Abby O'Neill. And if you Dougie Doug the show, you can hear more at NPR.org. Plus, bonus video content on Spotify on Fridays. While you're at it, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. That's how we know you are listening. And if you want to keep track of us via social media, our Twitter is Stretch and Bob, and our Instagram is Stretch and Bobito. Peace!